Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Seeing It All. We break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. I got The Creator Review, a new original sci-fi film. Box Office Talk this past week's Expendables 4, Ahsoka Episode 7 Review. I got a few quickie reviews from Past Lives, Bottoms, and No One Will Save You, along with Talk What's Coming Next Week. And that's all coming up right here on this week's Seeing It All. So I first want us to start off with my Creator Review. What an absolutely excellent movie. Just absolutely outstanding. It's so incredibly well-crafted. Um, it's the new original sci-fi film from director Gareth Edwards that has not gotten a lot of promotion, and every person I mention it to has no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, Tyler, the creator? I'm like, no, the creator. The only major issue I have with this film is a few moral qualms. I don't really want to get into them here because they're a bit spoilery, but I just want to go over the basics first before I can gush about this film. I want to go over that AI moral issue stuff. So the premise of this film, as you see in the trailer, is AI dropped a bomb on Los Angeles, and killed over a million people. That's what America believes, that's what everybody believes. So they decide to go to war. America decides to go against war against AI, which are making their holdout in Southeast Asia. Um, the AI being real people is the center of the movie, and I agree with the character development that some of these androids had, and I was sad when some died and other stuff happened, but for the most part, I still believe AI isn't real. Um, oh, if AI finds us in the future, I don't... I, I take that back, I take that back, but... Um, I think this is a very big warning for our future because I really don't want to be dealing with these moral questions because I'm not fully sure on the topic. I love the question it poses because even I may not agree with the actions both sides take, mostly in the American side with what they do here. I can still see why each are doing what they are doing. Um, because each, 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 each points I was worried. I was rooting for each side at some points, just like the main character was to kind of ride the side. And every single time that something happened, I was like, I kind of support the AI. Oh, I should kind of support the Americans, see what they're doing. I just, I don't think the main character, even though at the end of the film, fully came to support one side. So, and that way you can really relate to the protagonist. But this is all built on what ifs. And But I really hope this film and others show the world, let's just not mess with AI, okay? Let's just not touch AI. Let's just, let's just leave it alone. I like things that are created naturally, not through mechanic processes. I think the one part that got me the most, like, you factor, the most you factor for me was that people were donating their likenesses to be used on these AI robots. And it just felt really, really icky for me. And I really hated it. Imagine going outside and seeing your face on everyone. I just, a very, a very, ugh. It was just, ugh. I just, I just would never do that. And I hope that never has to come to pass in America. Uh, but now into the stuff I love. First of all, this movie is paced extremely well and kept me entertained throughout the film. Um, I it had it knew how to do exposition scenes, emotional scenes, action scenes. They were all excellently paced together. It was strung along so excellently. I never got bored. They they knew how to pace them. Where we had an action scene every ten minutes or so, and we had an emotional scene every ten minutes or so, and then we have an exposition scene every ten minutes or so. They really paced it well, and especially cutting in between storylines where this one's starting to get dull. Okay, where they're traveling, then we cut to the other one. We're like, oh, okay, something interesting is happening here. They cut it. Just, it was just so excellently well done. Um, all with this fast pace. All with its fast pace, so much was accomplished in the movie. They jump around a lot in the time. Like, they have a lot of flashbacks that are intercut between what's happening, but it made for a very worthwhile film that had a very large narrative and a very big conclusion. I just can't believe where they went with this movie. And speaking of where they went, they went beyond the big scale, which was amazing considering the relatively small budget of $80 million. I said small budget. It's still $80 million. They had a... The reason they were able to keep it $80 million versus... Marvel movies, $220, $250 million, and it looks like it could be that level. One, the cast isn't too notable, but mostly because that Gareth Edwards picture locked the film before VFX work could be done on it. So 
they didn't invest VFX money into stuff they weren't going to use in the film, so they saved a lot of money there. And Gareth Edwards also knows exactly what to sh- what to film after doing this for so many times. He did District Twelve. He did that low budget that has a lot of CGI in it. He don't. He's he's had his fair share of CGI sci-fi sci-fi films. But more of where they went with this movie in the character choices and the very complicated steps they took. I say the most complicated one with stuff surrounding her and her herself was the stuff involving Jimmy Chan. Jimmy Chan's character. I did not see how it was coming, but I knew what they were doing once we got to that point. You know what I mean when I get there. Just, just wow. Um, among, among other things, but a lot of people die in this movie. A lot of people die, and they definitely show it to get their point across. I think it works very effectively. I mean, if you have a very... If you can't handle some moral some moral testitudes that are being thrown out at you, I don't know I recommend seeing this movie, but they go there in a lot of places, and I really... Um, I really admire that they were allowed to do this, allowed to go that far. I guess with the 80 million budget, you're allowed to do whatever you kind of want. Um, you can't really see this type of stuff appear in $200 million movies, the types of questions they pose, the type of actions the character takes. Like, he's not, he's not, as he says in the trailer 20 million times, he's not a hero. He's probably not going to go to heaven. <laughs> the action scenes all kind of blended together to serve the narrative. So I can't say specific ones stood out, but they were all very entertaining, especially when Alpha shows up, who's the... Who does her thing and i won't talk about her here but she is the ultimate weapon is the robot kid that they advertise the movie with she's alpha i'd probably say the most standout action scene was the last one but that's because you had all the emotional stuff coming to play and it was less action in between like shooting it was more action between characters and trying to reach certain things i won't give into it but i really like that last action scene because that's where the emotion paid off emotions were were very high in the end of this movie i want to talk about our main character here first before getting into the other characters starting with john david washington who kind of plays the role he played in tenant he's very much plays the protagonist, but in this role, but he's playing, he actually has a name here this time, unlike in Tenet. His name is Joshua. Uh, he, as I said, he wavers on his opinion. I can't really go into characters without spoiling the movie because they did not say anything about the characters in the movie, but he's almost in every scene. He does a great job, especially when he plays the dad role to the little girl robot, Alpha. The actress who played her was great. She's probably like 10 ish, I think. Yeah, probably around there. And I was like, okay, she's not doing too much. She's kind of more silent. But then she starts to talk more. And by the end of this movie, she has to pull some emotional scenes. And she does it very, very well. Very well. Like, and I, I, you'll, I'm, you'll definitely see her again. You really felt her innocence in this movie. Again, I'm not going into specifics with her. But you want to see it, how it unfolds in front of your eye. Jimmy Chan. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, you might know that I am, in fact, a huge Jimmy Chan fan. I am an absolute Jimmy Chan stan. Um, I still can't get over the guy cheating on her in Crazy Rich Asians. I will never, li- I will, I will never live that down because who cheats on Jimmy Chin? Who? Most beautiful woman in the world? How dare you? But the film was built with her second running, I think. I think she was second running behind John David Washington. But then she wasn't in any of the trailers. So I was nervous. I was like excited, like, oh my gosh, she's going to be in second main character in this movie. And then I saw the trailers and she wasn't in them at all. And the movie, she's in it more than I thought it would based on the trailers, but not enough to be second million. So she's in there more than I thought she would be, but still still not enough Gemma Chan. Um, but she served her mysterious role very, very well. Other than that, there's a few characters that stay around a little longer than others, such as the American general and the new Asia general. I think it's uh, Ken Watanabe, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's in everything. He's in Godzilla. He's in a ton of stuff. Um, but they mostly just act as mouthpieces for both sides. But they still do some get stand on action scenes. Both sides. Both both the American and the New Asia, they kind of did the same level for me, same amount of screen time, most likely. American won more in the beginning, New Asia won more in the end, and they both have very excellent scenes, and they got very excellent scene between the two of them. They're just trying to convince John David Washington to support each side. Overall, an excellently put together film that had me thinking about a lot of questions it poses afterwards. Try to go into it as blind as possible, especially on the ending, because it took my breath away, 
And it was incredibly emotional. The film is not going to make money, but I want to spread the good news and please implore you to go see this movie. I want more original sci-fi films in the marketplace. But as for other people's reactions, right now I think it has like a 75% rotten tomatoes, if I'm not mistaken. It started off 100. It's dropped steadily, but I think the nerdy critics like me are absolutely adoring it because this is exactly what I wanted in a sci-fi film, but I think some people aren't getting out of it what they want to. 80 million budget, as I said, kept it very low, but it's only set to have a 16 to 19 million opening weekend. Ouch, that's really, really bad. I really hope word of mouth can carry this movie to heaven. Um, you'll get that joke if you've seen the movie. Um, I don't know if audiences are going to love the ending of the film. I know the few guys on my screening did not. They were making jokes about it coming afterwards that I kind of agreed with. I kind of did it. Um, just there's the ending of this movie and the questions posed about AI. It'll leave you one. It'll leave you pondering. And some of those guys do not like the way it ended. They're like, oh, that's that's a that's Hollywood, right? That like, Okay, okay, you do you. Uh, I I think a big group of loud people will push push this push the word that this movie is like we nerds. We can be loud. I hope we push it around and convince everybody else to see it. I've been telling everybody about it today, and they're like, mm, maybe I'll see it. But get out, go see this film, because it is just excellent sci-fi. I could not have hoped for better. It's probably up there my favorites of the year. I need to see it again before I decide it's my favorite. I really like Cross Spiders. really like Dungeons & Dragons. We'll see when we get there. But i really, really, really impressed by it. Now, this was the part of the show where I was supposed to review Dumb Money. I had everything written up. I had a thumbnail made. I had the title all finished. And I get to the movie theater. For my three o'clock showing on Thursday. And I really got the census sold out. My like, oh, how the heck is dumb money sold out? There's no way. There's no way that dumb money is sold out. And then I scan it. It doesn't print my ticket fully. And then a bunch of people come around talking. And apparently the hard drive had not been fully sent to the theater at the time. So there was no way for me to watch the film. And the nearest theater to me that was playing it was over an hour away. And I drove an hour for the creator and for an early IMAX screening. I'm not driving an hour for dumb money. So, I'm not going to review this film probably ever. Uh, I might, I'm probably going to watch it sometime this weekend, but uh, maybe I'll, if there's not much going on next week, I might throw the review in of dumb money there. Who knows? I think it's going to be really good. I'm really sad I don't get to see it today. I got an extra free ticket, but I drove out of the way all day. Or I had car trouble. It's just, it did not go my way when it came to dumb money. Um, so, I'm still, I'm still excited about it. I thought I'd talk about what it's predicted to make this weekend. And it's been out for two weeks. It opened in eight theaters two weeks ago. Been expanding a little bit more this past week before going wide this weekend. It should have gone wide this past weekend and it would have made so much more money. Sony's release strategies are just so stupid, it boggles the mind. But it's getting good reactions at 84% of Rotten Tomatoes. The Oscar buzz seems to have dropped out from the bottom of this, and I see this getting nothing from the Academy. Um, this the, this weekend, the film looks to make about like six and a half million, and it has a budget of around 30 million. So I see this as a money loser for Sony. So, med performance, who knows how the movie is? We'll see. I haven't seen it yet, and we'll see how it does this weekend. But I just thought I'd throw that in there because I said I was going to review Dumb Money. Hey, I wanted to. It's out of my hands at this point. It's not happening, which really sucks, and it really, it really makes me, really makes me angry. It's just, just. A... All right, now I want to get into the box office of this past weekend, and that means we got to talk about Expendables Four. I am so glad I did not make it out to see this movie. I recorded last week's episode before they even lifted the review embargo on Expendables 4, and I believe right now it has like a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it received a B-minus cinema score. Um, before we even knew how bad it would fall on the slice at the box office, that was just, oh, just thank you. I'm so glad I did not make myself go sit through that movie, and it's not even a movie It's so bad, it's good. If it was so bad, it's so good, I would have gone out and see it, but it's not even one of those, so I'm like, I'm just, I'm just, I just feel so lucky that I didn't have to sit through and watch that, but. Before the weekend was here, industry projections, industry, 
oh my gosh, I can't talk. Industry projects projections had the film coming in a little under the third Expendables film at around 13 to 14 million, but it was even worse than that. Like so much worse. It almost it almost came in at half of already weak industry projections at eight million for its three day opening weekend. That is really really bad. Uh, eight million dollars. First of all, let's talk about it in the scope of this entire franchise. Expendables one opened with thirty four point eight million. A very strong start for the series when it really used its fresh, fun ideas of 80s action movie stars to its advantage. It really it really capitalized on that for a time being. The second film decreased a little bit from the first one and made $28.6 million, but still a good bit of money. Uh, then the bottom fell out of the franchise, as the third Expendables made $15.9 million on its opening weekend. And I think the Lionsgate should have taken that as its sign not to do any more of these, but they for sure as well won't make any more now. Lionsgate only had, they got John Wick, Hunger Games, this, Twilight. And Twilight's dead. Spinnables is dead. John Wick himself is dead. And Hunger Games are trying to revive. So that Lionsgate doesn't got more. They lost Knives out to Netflix. So they're trying to push for their franchises. This is not the one to push. The films are also are intended to make a lot of money overseas. Jason Statham being the lead here specifically. he That's his speciality to make money overseas, especially in China. Uh, make 2 made over like $150 million in China along with Fast X, who Jason Statham is in. China loves Jason Statham, but the film opened in China two weeks ago and has only made about $20 million. Ooh, that is not good. That is not good. The film has a $100 million budget, so Lionsgate is going to lose so much money on this. I think right now it's crossed like $30 million worldwide. That's it. Ooh, this is bad. And I feel like the bigger questions besides who the heck greenlit this is what the status of Sylvester Stallone still owns careers. All of his franchises dead. dead. Rambo is dead. Expendables is now dead. He left Rocky because he wants the rights back legally. I don't think he... He got that movie. He got to star in his directorial debut. He didn't fund the movie. So he's in completely in the wrong trying to take back the Rocky franchise. I don't think it's going to well. I don't think those producers are just going to give Sylvester Stallone the Rocky franchise. It is not happening. Megan Fox also doesn't really have a career at this point. I think J- Jason Statham needs to be in a good movie again. He's making bank, but soon he's going to lose that movie star status if he just keeps starring in absolute crap. Really bad performance for the film, but we could all see it coming from a mile away, especially when they put out that first trailer. That first trailer was not good, and I'm so glad. I'm just so glad I didn't have to see this movie every day. Every day, I'm just gonna keep repeating it because I feel like the Lord shone down upon me that I did not have to see this movie, and I never will. The other film I want to talk about this box office section is *A Haunting in Venice*, which was in its second weekend. It did not hold as well as I was hoping for. It fell 56% in its second weekend. I was really hoping that word of mouth would carry this film. It doesn't look like it. It had a 6.3 million second weekend. It's grown has grown to have a following online with people calling it the best film of the franchise. But the word is just too it's just it's just not spreading to actual movie going audiences, the masses, if you will. It's just not spreading to them. The film is performing really well on discount days, Tuesdays specifically, the five dollar or I think it's six dollar tickets now, inflation. So again, just titles you see with the films like you see with Blue Beetle, My Big Fat Greet Wedding 3, and now this, there are certain films the audience will turn to only when they are cheap. And I think that also has to do with the older demographic that's catering towards two of these, most of these films. People will see them on the cheap. People, at least in the U.S., are just waiting for this to come on stream at this point. These types of films are viewed as streaming films at this point. I think the industry is hurting itself with mantras like that. That's the whole reason this is all happening. The second weekend is actually under both Death on the Nile and Murder on the Express. Death on the Nile had a 6.6 million opening weekend, or second weekend, excuse me. That was like a 49% hold. And Murder on the Orient Express had 13.8 million second weekend, a 52% hold. So it fell harder, and it made less money than both of its predecessors, which is not good at all. It looks like it'll finish its domestic run with about 40 to 50 million. Again, this is on a 60 million budget. 
But overseas is a different story. The film only fell 35% in the second weekend. Overseas audiences are getting the memo that this is a good movie. It made $14.7 million this weekend and now has made $46 million overseas. Global, that leaves its total at $71 million. It looks to finish with $110, $130 million, a number that I don't believe will be enough to turn a profit. I think it probably has to hit like maybe $1, $130, maybe if it wants to turn a profit. Who knows how much they spend on advertising, but I don't know if we're going to get the sequel with this performance, but if we do, they need much bigger stars and even lower budget. But I really hope we get another one, and I need Ryan Johnson to work on a sequel to Glass Onion as soon as the writer's strike is over. Oh, well, I wrote this out before the writer's strike. The writer's strike is in it. We'll talk about that more at the end of the show, but writer's strike is over, and Ryan Johnson, please start working on Glass Onion now. Um, I recorded on here, like, I'm recording this or put the show out, then maybe they start writing it now. It just depends on when the show comes out, and they have started writing Lastly, I want to mention that neither of these films, Expendables 4, nor Haunting of Venice, they won the, none of them won the weekend. That would be None 2, which made $8.4 million this weekend, and now has been number one three weekends in a row. No one would have predicted this, and it has now passed $200 million worldwide, making it the highest grossing horror movie of the year on a $38 million budget. Congrats. Congrats to Warner Brothers on their success. Well done. I'll talk about this more later, but Disney should have released No One Will Save You back into theaters because that would have made Bank 2. I'll talk more about that movie in a bit, but none too. None too is our ultimate champion. All right, now I want to get into my Ahsoka episode seven review and breakdown. Warning, spoilers ahead. So if you listen on podcast, just skip forward a bit. I thought this episode was amazing. Easily my favorite outside of episode four. Um, I want to get to something before breaking it down. I first have to say that I don't think the show is going to end well. And I mean end well in the sense that I don't think our characters are going to win the day here. I think it's going to be bad. I don't think, I think some people are probably going to die. Some people are going to get left behind. Thrawn's probably going to win, I bet. At least that's how they're probably going to set it up so then they can beat him in the movie or whatever. But I don't know, especially with how much time. I think the finale is going to be awesome, but I, hopefully they have enough time to wrap up everything. We only have one episode left. Uh, I'm curious how much they're going to leave open for the next season or the Mandalorian movie. I feel like it's going to be a Loki season one finale. Similar situation whenever we finish the show with like my jaw on the floor. No idea how long we're going to get, how long it's going to go before we get answers. I, I feel it coming. I feel shivers tingling as I watch this. I feel, I'm shiver me timbers while I'm watching the show. But more on this episode, I really love every aspect of this episode outside of a couple of things. But I want to go and get those, those qualms out of the way first. First of all, the cameo by C-3PO. It made sense for the time period we were in, but it just felt like Dave Filoni, like throwing in member berries and felt wholly unnecessary. But the scene surrounding it was awesome. I'll talk about it in a minute. I just... And the mission of Princess Leia, I kind of just want to move on from that. And if we're not going to move on, then I like to recast because I still don't love the digital spaces. I'd rather we recast. I mean, all the prequel films got recast. Owen McGregor was a recast. So I, I think they should not stick their more high grounds because everybody hated that Han Solo movie. Star Wars fans are just the worst. They hate everything. You're never going to please all the Star Wars fans because they are really annoying. I am a Star Wars fan. I can recognize that. Second qualm I had with the movie was that we didn't get an answer to Balin's actions and what he was looking for or who was calling to him. I think this episode would have felt more conclusive and full if we just ended the episode with a glimpse of what he was really doing. I think it would have gone a long way, especially because we only have one episode left. And I really hope Balin isn't killed off because I really like his ideas. I want the other characters besides Shen to hear about his ways of wisdom. So I think they should have put the answer here. Third qualm with it was the CGI. It was it was kind of, I think it might have been a little bit better than last week's with the volume use, but especially the scenes on the ground level of the planet when we saw the background of Ezra and Sabine and talking in the little pods, it, it looked so bad. It, it looked really bad. And then the CGI body double of Ahsoka jumping out of the plane and then her riding her wolf rat, it looked really bad. It really felt like they were, I feel like they're on crutches using 
they're crutched by using the volume when they could have shot on location so easily because that location, that planet looks very earthy to me. So I just, but enough of my qualms this episode. Let's get into the stuff I love by first of all saying this was not a filler episode. So much stuff happened and I really don't understand why people are calling it filler. The story progressed. Our heroes reunited. Hera is saved. Are you not paying attention? Like seriously, so much stuff happened. It's so stupid. But starting off this episode with a scene of Hera at court. I'm so glad we got to see Hera this episode. I really missed her. Even though she was only in one scene, only in the opening scene, she she better play a role in the finale. And I'm still mad she didn't go along with Ahsoka. She should have. Jason, you gotta just just drop Jason off with uh with the I forgot the I forgot the guy's name. The, the other captain, the X-wing fighter pilot, Kim's convenience. God, crap! I forgot. But just drop Jason off on them. Hera, go with Ahsoka. Go be with all the fun people. You're the badass. I want you to be with her. But that that one guy, one court guy, is totally imperial. <laughs> he's totally imperial, right? The senator, he's totally imperial for not letting her explore and basically saying the empire isn't around. He can't be that stupid, right? He 100 needs to be investigated. My favorite part of the scene was a line they used in the trailers when Harris says that we have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. I love this line so much because I love the line so much basically because of Mon Mothma's reaction. Um, I think the actress is Geneva Riley, something like that. She, she her fear on her face was perfect. She's like, oh crap, I got to do all this again. Uh, it really sold me on the moment. Great way to open the show. But then we go back to Ahsoka, who is training with a hologram of Anakin. We got to see another flashback, but I'm not super nostalgic for Anakin, so it doesn't really get my juices flowing like the others. This scene was fine, showing Ahsoka's nervous and is getting ready, but didn't do much to me, like Clone Wars fans who immediately start bawling their eyes out anytime they see Anakin. But then the whales leave hyperspace, bombs immediately start going off. I love that the Empire made the space around the planet a landmine. I don't know how the science worked there, but it looked cool. And I did feel really bad for the space walls, but they did before anyone was seriously hurt. I thought we were going to like see a dead carcass join join the ruins, but nope, they all got out there. They were fine. Everybody's fine. Ahsoka then hides in the rubble of the dead whales, and there she tries to connect sub- to Sabine to find where she is. This scene was my favorite this episode, as the music cuts out and you see them connect finally. But you also see the sisters of Dathomir connect to Ahsoka, to Ahsoka's location, so they're all connecting to each other. Awesome. Thrawn made the sisters look for her. Awesome scene before Ahsoka gets bombarded by gunships. I just love the more quiet moments between the characters, and they acted really well. I really liked Ahsoka and Sabine's reaction. But Thrawn's plan in all this is just to buy time to finish loading up and leave them all on the planet, which is the plan I was going for, too. That's what I said last week. And so far, it's working. We really just just see Thrawn planning here, which is mostly what his character does. But he's definitely not in this episode as much as he was last week. He's more of just planning his crap here. But Sabine and Ezra are found by Balin and Shin. And they split up presumably for the last time, Balin and Shen do. At least that's what I got from the situation. Balin's going to go look for what he needs to, while Shen will become powerful in the ranks of the New Empire. Either way, sad to see them split ways. But Ezra and Sabine get attacked, and this is where the bad CGI really shows up. But Ahsoka finally gets off her ship and has to fight Balin. Balin's still standing there. The lightsaber fights between Ahsoka and Balin are just so cool. They are the Every move is powerful, and she only got away thanks to Hu Yang blasting through, and she rides off on her horse again. Again, wish we got more of what Balin is doing here, because that was the last we saw of him in this episode. But Ahsoka finally reunites with Sabine and Ezra, and they fight off Shen and the Stormtroopers force, forces she called in. They eventually come face-to-face with Shen after the battle has lost, and Ahsoka tries to reach out to her. I really hope Shen stays evil and Ahsoka can't save her. I think that'd be a much cooler character. Um, I kept seeing all the memes. Before this episode came out, you see all the memes of the people saying, I can fix Shen. I can do it. And now Ahsoka's saying what those people were saying. I can fix Shin. I can do it. I'm like, I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Please don't. I don't want you to because Shin is hot. Um, but Ahsoka and Ezra's reunions felt more emotional than Sabine and Ezra's reunion, which was surprising. For some reason, I just liked this one more. And I thought it was better acted. 
actually really like the Ezra, the way Ezra's actor played in this episode, and I really enjoy him in the show now. Also, Sabine still hasn't told him how they got there, and I can't believe that they're saving that for the finale where it they it has to explode, right? It has to explode and cause conflict. Someone's gonna die from it, something like that. But the episode ends with the three of them: Ezra, Sabine. Well, Hugh Yang too. Ezra, Sabine, Ahsoka, and Hugh Yang all the back together. And Ezra's hoping he finally can go home. And he keeps saying he's going to go home. I'm scared he's jinxing himself. I'm like, dude, stop saying you're going to go home. It could not happen. Don't take it as a guarantee. Great episode for Ahsoka. I'm just chomping at the bits for the next finale. For the finale next week, we get the finale Ahsoka and the premiere Loki season two on Thursday. I just, I cannot wait for next week. It's going to be so, so good. Before we end this shorter show, I did want to talk about a few of the films that I was able to catch up on this past Sunday. I watched three films that I need to, and I wanted to run through them here quickly here. First of all, I finally watched Bottoms. People have been praising this film. A little underwhelmed, I have to say, because I had a lot of it spoiled for me due to Twitter, but it was very funny and a movie they haven't made in a while. Also, made me want to go watch Mean Girls again, and any movie that meant to make me watch Mean Girls gets a win in my book. Another film I watched after that, I watched these all back to back, was Past Lives. I thought I was really going to love this movie, but I didn't come out of it loving it, but I did come out really respecting it and what it had to say, especially about the idea of falling in love and not being able to be with each other and the hope that you get that you could be together in the next life. Thinking about it is very sad and so is many parts of this movie, but I wish I could have seen this film in theaters. Again, I enjoyed it as much as you could enjoy a depressing movie, a depressing movie like this, but I ended up re- respecting it more than I did actually loving it. Um, I have, I don't see myself watch rewatching this movie anytime soon but the last movie i watched was actually the one i enjoyed the most and that was a new film called no one will save you a new hulu horror film about a home invasion but instead of your typical invaders the invaders this time are aliens and there is no dialogue this film outside of two lines and it's just creepy attacks from aliens i loved it i am for sure rewatching this on halloween absolutely perfect a movie with a very bold ending too that i did not see coming one bit i had no idea how they were going to resolve it but they found a satisfying way. And the film was just scary without having to resort to gross violence. I just love it. And I wish it was released in theaters because it would have made money. Moral of the story with all these great films. I enjoyed all these films, but I would have enjoyed them a lot more had I seen them in theaters. Bottom and Past Lives were never released in my area. I don't understand why they never went completely wide. And No One Will Save You was went straight to streaming. I wish there are some issues with our current structure. That's why everyone is striking. I think films like these should have more been more easily accessed in theaters. I wish, I wish it would have been like that. And before I get into this last coming next week section, I do want to mention that the writers, they did, the writer strike has ended. They made a historic deal that there's so many things breaking it down. They won the AI issue. They got residuals. They got guaranteed writers rooms. And it's just, I'm really happy for them that this strike, this 146 day strike, or whatever it was, was worth it for them. And now their studios are about to talk to the actors as well. So that makes me very, very happy that we could see everyone start going back to work new films being announced and all that fun stuff. I'm just very, very excited about it. But as for what's coming next week, first of all, I think tomorrow or today, whenever you listen to this today, probably a uh, Gen V, the new boys spinoff show comes out. And I want to mention that I will not be reviewing this because I just have so much I'm already reviewing and I just kind of want to enjoy the show without having to review it. And I thought it was going to be awful, but all the reviews came out saying it was great. So I'm actually very excited. And I'm going to watch those first three episodes as soon as I possibly can. As for movies next week, we have The Exorcist Believer. I still need to watch the original. I'm going to get to it, but I really don't have any excitement for this film. I may not have seen the original Exorcist, but I've seen so many movies at this point with exorcisms. And the only differentiator here is that the two girls being possessed, that there are two girls being possessed here instead of one. I do like David Gordon Green's work with the Halloween franchise in the beginning before they drove that into the ground. 
The stuff with Lori is great in the sequels, but everything else is kind of poo-poo. But all in 2018 is great, so maybe the rebirth, rebirth of Exorcist franchise will be just just like the rebirth of the Halloween. But it is for sure is not making as much money as that Halloween film did. That film made so much money. It opened like $70 million or something. I do not have high hopes for this, but I will be in theaters for another horror release. They just keep coming. But the show, the one thing I'm super, super excited about is Loki Season 2 comes out next Thursday. I am... I just absolutely love season one. I'm not going to repeat everything I've said about Loki. Just look back at my season two trailer thoughts. The only thing ruining my excitement is that the show released on Thursday nights instead of Tuesday nights, which makes it so much harder for me to record the show. So this means I'm not going to, I probably am going to change the release date of the show from Friday mornings to Saturday mornings. Um, I believe, or Friday nights. I still haven't decided yet, but I want to review the episodes of Loki season two, but I don't want to review the show. I want to, I don't want to review the past week's episode after a new episodes already come out of you. And I mean, so I don't know. Might have to do some angling here. Just the show might move back a day. We'll see. I don't know if that, if that makes sense. So just keep an eye out. But the day release may change just because of Loki. But that doesn't mean I'm still not super excited for this show. I think it's going to be so good. But again, that is a shorter. We're having a shorter episode this week. Sorry about that, everybody. I know I wanted. I really wanted to review Dumb Money. I'll get an out scene this week, and maybe I'll review it next week's episode. We'll see. But what did you think of the creator? Did you see Dumb Money? If so, let me know. If I'm going to love it or not. Or did you go see Saw X and Paw Patrol? I will not be seeing those movies. Ahsoka Episode 7. Did you watch that? The writer's strike being over. Past lives, bottoms. No one will save you. All the box offs. So much talked about in this week's episode. And make sure you come back next week for my review of Exorcist Believer and Loki Season 2. Along with the Ahsoka finale. Lots to talk about next week as well. And hopefully, Exorcist Believer, they won't lose the hard drive. But make sure to follow us on our social medias. Thank you for listening to the podcast so much. And you guys have a good night now. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.